Welcome to the teaching ministry of Judah Oloromai, compelling consecration, provoking repentance, and inspiring worship by the preaching and teaching of God's word and the miraculous demonstration of his power. Get ready to experience the transforming power of his word. I want to appeal to you again and again, make today count emphatically. Glory to Jesus. First Corinthians chapter 9. First Corinthians chapter 9. We'll begin the reading in verse 11 and we'll read down to verse 23. Please pay attention to the words of Paul the Apostle and try and internalize his words. Let them make meaning to you. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, you see the great thing, or see the big deal if we shall reap your carnal things. What Paul is saying here is that since we give you spiritual things, it is okay for you to give us physical things. In the context of a preacher and his congregation. Is that clear? If others be partakers of this power, what power is right over you, and not we rather, nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things. What suffer all things is endure, permit, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul says, I have rights as a pastor. I have rights as an apostle. But some of these rights, I forfeit them. And the only reason I forfeit them is because I don't want to hinder the gospel of Christ. Is that taken? Do you not know that they which minister about holy things leave off the things of the temple? They which wait at the altar, partakers with the altar, what he's saying is that a pastor deserves to be paid. A pastor, if he preaches from the pulpit, he should be paid too. The money that they drop at the pulpit actually belongs to him. That's what he's saying here. Even so, as the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live off the gospel. The idea of living off the gospel is should be paid, should earn salaries from this same gospel. Are we clear here? He now says, but I have not used these things. These are rights, but I have not used them. Neither have I written these things that it should be done unto me. And I'm not writing to you so that you can pity me and say, yeah, pastor, okay, take. No, that's not what I'm preaching. For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glory in void. The phrase glory is boasting or bragging right. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. In other words, I have nothing to brag about. I have nothing to boast about. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. I want you to internalize the phrases. I'd like you to see it from the writer's perspective. And I need you to understand that it is also something that applies to you. This man says, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. You need to ask yourself, can you say that? <laughs> is the gospel that a big deal for you? <laughs> Why would somebody cross himself 
if he doesn't preach the gospel? Is the gospel that a big deal in your eyes? For if I do this thing willingly, the thing here is talking about preaching the gospel, I have a reward. But if it's against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. What is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge. In other words, my greatest ultimate satisfaction is to see the gospel preached without even taking any money from it. That's, that's what gives me, that's my salary. That I abuse not my power or right in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Not to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I may gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I may gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law, being not without the law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. I have made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And three, and this I do, all of this I'm doing, all this I'm saying, I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So I'm preaching this morning on for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. Let's pray in one minute. Lord, we trust you to make your word count in our hearts. We open up our hearts and receive the blessings of your word. Illumination, revelation, fervency, zeal as you have ordained for us. We are absolutely transformed this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray. Once again, whatever you are doing, add some extra energy to it. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. All right. The gospel is the greatest thing to live for. In fact, for the Christian, the gospel is the ultimate thing we live for. This may sound very simple and straightforward, but when we begin to analyze the implication of that statement, we discover it contradicts many of the modern Christian living expressions. Some people live for their marriages. Some people live for their careers. Some people live for their children. Some people live for their dream. I'm saying to you right now that what you should live for is actually the gospel. I know you might have been taught in several subtle ways that the gospel exists for you, but actually... (laughs) Also, more importantly, you exist for the gospel. The reason why you are still alive, despite the fact that you are saved and you are already a citizen of heaven, is because there is supposed to be a dispensation of the gospel that has been committed to your hands. There is supposed to be a work, a labor, a sacrifice to be made for the gospel. That's why you are still here. When you pray for a long life and prosperity, All of that is supposed to be for the sake of the gospel. Not for the sake of your dreams, not for the sake of your family, not for the sake of your enjoyment, not for the sake of your pleasure, but for the sake of the gospel. I like the way Apostle Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 5 
and verse 15. Just because one man, Jesus Christ, died for all, therefore all are dead, so that they which live will not live unto themselves. They will not live for their dreams. They will not live for their goals. They will not live for their ambition. They will not live for their own personal desires, but they will live unto he who died for all. Listen to me, as a Christian, you exist for the gospel. It is the greatest thing about the life on earth. The gospel. The gospel is God's ultimate project. The gospel is God's final project. The gospel is God's only project. And as a child of God, as somebody who belongs to the household of God, it is not reasonable to dissociate yourself from that project. It is expected that you are consumed with the project. You are obsessed with the project. You are passionate about the project because you belong to God. Many of us only come to church and receive miracles, receive blessings, or at least prepare ourselves to receive blessings. You need to understand why you are here. Fundamentally, ultimately, you are not here for your career. You are not here for your dreams. Your life will be measured at the end of it based on what you did for the gospel. The society may applaud you. You built a massive hospital for your village. Charity, generosity, wonderful. Listen to me, the only thing that counts in the books of God, eternal records, is what you did for the gospel. In 100 years time, if Jesus tarries, nobody here listening to me will likely be on the earth. What will matter from that moment onward is what we did for the gospel. Anybody who's called great, according to God, is great not because of what they achieved for themselves. Not because of the mansions they built for themselves. Not because of the systems and structures they built in society. But for what they did for the gospel. All the heroes of faith we celebrate from Abel, Abraham, Samuel, Moses, Elijah. They were not great because they did things for themselves. But because they did things for the sake of the gospel. A man's life is measured by how much he has done for the gospel. Not how much he collected from the gospel. Not how much he earned from the gospel. Paul says, listen, it is my right to earn certain things from the gospel. But I'm not interested in that. I'm going to forfeit the right if I see that it threatens or hinders the potency of the gospel. I'm trying to help your focus here this morning because many of us are chasing many things doing many things saying you are not doing it for god and god is saying my project is the gospel it's my final project it's my only project it's my ultimate project and thing you're doing is a distraction what i want you to face is the gospel the gospel the gospel whatever you are doing spiritually religiously in love out of your kindness, out of your human compassion, if it does not impact the gospel, I'm not saying it's not important in the realm of men, but in the realm of God, it is not important. It is not important. There were many things Jesus did on the earth. He shared bread and fish. Not bad, very good. But ultimately what he came to do was the gospel. 
Are you listening to me here? There are many generous things you can do. Many charitable things you can do. You can achieve dreams. No problem. You can fulfill your ambitions. No problem. I am saying the ultimate thing about life on this side of eternity is God's final project. The gospel. And the day you will breathe your last breath, that's the most important thing that matters. What have you done for the gospel? That's when the real questions start. Oh, the question of what shall we eat? Which shall we man? What shall we drive? Where shall we visit? It will not matter in the day you breathe your last breath. What will count is what did he do for the gospel? You be, maybe you ask yourself, as I'm teaching already, what have I done for the gospel? This is a man like us, Apostle Paul, writing his epistle to the Corinthian church. And he says it in a very graphic way. He says, I have rights. I have things that are due me as an apostle, as a spiritual leader, as somebody who has invested spiritually into the body. However, I forfeit those rights just so that I will not hinder the gospel. You know, because many people think that hindering the gospel is dressing half naked. Hindering the gospel is committing sin publicly. I'm saying that there are good things that you will let go. Good dreams, good ambition. I'm letting you go. And then they ask you, know, you say, for the sake of the gospel. Was it bad? No, it was not bad. Was it sinful? It was not sinful. Why did you let it go? For the sake of the gospel. Was it your right? Yes. Did you deserve it? Yes. Why didn't you take it? For the sake of the gospel. That's the idea of the Christian life. If you have not started living for the gospel, honestly, you have not started living. You have not started living. Until your life counts for the gospel, it does not count in the eternal books of God. I'm saying that to you clearly. You can achieve all your dreams on the earth. And what is highly esteemed amongst men, abominable in the sight of God. You may be celebrated as a celebrity in religious industries. But until your life counts for the gospel. You've heard the testimony of Paul. Forfeited rights. Just because of the gospel. What have you forfeited? What have you sacrificed? What have you done for the gospel? You say, oh, this thing, I like it. I know you like it. This thing is not a sin. I know it's not a sin. I'm asking you, if it hinders the gospel, will you still hold on to it? Or are you living like Paul? And say, even if it's my right, if it will hinder the gospel, I will forfeit it. This is the million dollar question, really. Many of the things you are chasing is not important. Many of the things you are chasing are not important. Many of the things you think are important are not important. I'm telling you, life happens very fast. Very soon you will be in your 80s and you discover all that you chased, all that you sought out for, all that you think you did does not mean anything to your heart. Because when you get older and you get closer to your maker, you will understand the value system of God. You will now understand that many of the things you chased in your youthful years does not really matter much. The only thing that will be on your mind is, when I meet my maker, what will I say I did for the gospel? You will think about it, you will lose your sleep. Especially if you don't eat to my word this morning. That's why you see old men die in anguish. Die saying, and I know, dying in regret, because they will not listen. The preacher said it in Ecclesiastes. Serve the Lord your God in the days of your youth. Seek the Lord in the days of your youth. 
before the evil day comes. There's an evil day where you will not have the energy to execute most of your desires. You will long for certain things. When you will have them, you will vomit. You will say this was your best food in your 30s. In your 80s, you will not have appetite for it. The music that you danced to and rejoiced about in your 40s, in your 70s, you will find this very unappealing. The evil day will come. And all that will matter is what did you do for the gospel. Those who did something will look forward to the day they see the Lord. Those who didn't do anything or do very little will be afraid, will be scared, will be worried. All their old age will be spent in anguish, regrets. Your life doesn't have to end up like that. Take it now. Take it now before the day comes. What have you done for the gospel? I'm saying here, I'm not saying you should go and be a missionary in Sudan. I'm not saying you should go and be a full-time minister. I'm not saying you should quit your job and preach with a microphone like Judah Lormaye. I'm saying, when you make decisions, does the gospel influence your decision? Can you reject a job for the sake of the gospel? Can you reject a marriage proposal for the sake of the gospel? Can you give yourself to the disciplines and the sacrifices of a consecrated saint for the sake of the gospel? Not because not doing it is a sin, but just because the gospel is a big deal. Let me ask you the question. If it costs Jesus' life, don't you think it's a big deal? Because many of us have, have never really sat down to understand the import, the weight, the gravity of the gospel. That the king of glory became a man so he could taste death. Don't you think it's a big deal? Because we ask for little sacrifices from Christians and they say, ah, ah. Nobody's asking you to even die for the gospel. Jesus did that already. We are saying just live for the gospel. Choose for the gospel. Abstain for the gospel. Invest for the gospel. Sacrifice for the gospel. And yet, many people cannot even lift their little finger. And they say they are Christians. Followers of Jesus. Which Jesus? The one that died for the sake of the same gospel? Which Jesus? A different version? Come on, let's be honest with ourselves. I'm saying to you this morning, what have you done? What are you doing? What will you do for the sake of the gospel? Are you listening to me here? This conversation is not about just provoking you into verbal communications and verbal expressions of evangelism and soul winning. That is also very important. That is very crucial. I'm not in any way watering that down. I'm saying to you, what I want to target is not just a verbal, verbal expression of the gospel. I want your entire life to live the gospel. This is not just another someone to help you get megaphones and microphones so you can stand on the streets and be a morning crier. I want your entire life to ooze out the message of the gospel. I want everything you do and everything you don't do to be traced to the fact that for the sake of the gospel, for the sake 
of the gospel. I want to use a few portions of scriptures to explain why verbal communication or verbal expression is not the only and ultimate means of being useful to the gospel. Because some of you, many of you, in one way or the other, say some things. You speak certain things. But I can see from scripture that beyond what you say, your entire life must be immersed into this gospel concept. This idea of doing the gospel five minutes every week or every day is not going to be potent enough to achieve God's ultimate project. Until the gospel becomes an ultimate obsession, it is not going to be potent in our lives. This idea of going out once in a week on evangelism, that's great. Many Christians don't even do that. That's great. But I'm saying your entire life must be wrapped around the gospel. The gospel. It becomes a default controlling system in your heart that determines what you do, what you don't do. What you say, what you don't say. Where you go, where you don't go. What you obtain, what you don't obtain. In your heart, there's something controlling, constraining for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. And then we'll look at some other verses later. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. That if any obey not the word, they also may be, or they also may without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives. What does that mean? Put that in another version. Apostle Peter says it's possible that what you say with your words are not enough. <laughs> Very possible. It's possible that a woman will attempt to win her husband to the Lord by speaking and it is not enough. And in the day words fail, something else may work. In the same way you wives must accept the authority of your husbands, then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. I'm not against preaching the gospel with words. Preach the gospel by every means and where necessary, use words. That's a quote by someone I'm not too sure of. Use words, of course. But Peter says it's possible. Your words are not enough. And in the day your words fail, may your life not fail. Let it not even be that your words fail because of your life. Peter says your, 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 words, your words are powerful, yes. But in case they fail, just in case, I recommend something else. I recommend your life. I recommend the voice of your life. Are you listening to me here? Look at subsequent verses in verse 14 to 17. Same chapter. But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry, you'll be afraid of their threats. Go ahead, please. We're reading till verse 17, please. Let's have it in the King James. Probably come back to the NLT if we need to. Let's have it in the King James. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Everybody say sanctify the Lord God. Can you make it a little bit louder, please? And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you 
with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you, as of evil doers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you. Because anybody who speaks evil of a Christian who sanctifies the Lord in his heart is actually a false accusation. Are you following the conversation? Eh? Somebody is sanctifying the Lord God in his heart, living right, living for the sake of the gospel, and is still accused of evil. It's a false accusation. And it says that this false accusation is not going to be quenched by arguing and saying, no, I'm not there. I'm not bad. I'm a good boy. It is that your life. It says that for, be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation. This phrase means conduct. When they see your good conversation, they will be ashamed. Put it in the NLT. Let's confirm. Verse 16 in the NLT. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. What is he saying you should do? Start from verse 15 again. So that we can have the train of thought orderly. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. If somebody asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. Now, the question is, do you manifest Christian hope? Now, person who manifest Christian hope, they go ask about Christian hope. Do you understand me? <laughs> do, are you manifesting any Christian hope that will make somebody say, why are you always at peace? Why don't you follow us to complain? Are you manifesting any Christian hope? That is making anybody say, what, what is it that you know that we don't know? But he now says, do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Is that clear? Verse 17. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good so the context was about long suffering. Just not about making more money. Just not about conquering the mountain of wealth. It's about endurance, long suffering, enduring persecution, maintaining a joyful disposition in the midst of a gloomy circumstance. It's better that you suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Peter is saying there's a way you can live for the sake of of the gospel. It can convince men even without you talking. Your lifestyle, your actions, your behavior, your mannerisms can be a source of great conviction amongst the unsaved. Are you listening to me here? This is God's only project. Don't fall his hand. Don't fall his hand. So much is at stake. So much is at stake. Don't embarrass God. Don't disappoint God. Don't fail God. Don't get to heaven on that day. And God will say, ah, ah, you know, try for me. I died for you. All I asked you to do was to live for me. Was that too much to ask? Is that too much to ask? Live in a way that will be a witness against wickedness. That will prick the conscience of the unsaved. That will make the ungodly uncomfortable. Not because you are rude. Like Peter says it. Be respectful. Be courteous. Be honorable. But let there be nothing against your name. Even when they accuse you, let it be a false accusation. 
Everyone they want to lie against you, let the lie not make sense. Because your life is so upright. Are you listening to me here? This is how to live. So, progress in this conversation, I want to tell you that the Bible expects your public and your private life to be the same. In the month of January, we explained that if you are doing otherwise, in other words, if your public and your private life is not similar, it could just be that you are religious. But also, the Bible teaches that when we are around unbelievers, for the sake of the gospel, we should be extra careful. For the sake of the gospel, there are certain things we should not do. There are certain things we should not say. There are certain ways we should not behave for the sake of the gospel. The Bible suggests this and teaches this and instructs this not because some of those things are sinful. The things you should avoid when you are around unbelievers. Not because they are sinful, but because they are more likely to ensure that the unbeliever never becomes saved. Oh yes. It's amazing how we will get to heaven. And in the midst of all the rejoicing, we will know by the revelation of our eternal spirit that some people are in hell today because of how we lived. How was it? Ah, it was my fault. And God will give me the side eye. Whose fault was it? Whose who's fault was it? I died. I did everything I should do on my part. I finished my own part. You didn't. You didn't. Your actions and inactions convinced the man that salvation was not a big deal. Your subtle speeches, your mannerisms and behavior gave the impression the Christian is not different from the unbeliever. And so people were comfortable around you. In their sin, fast track to hell. You were around them. Your life was not enough speech to convict them. Are you listening to me here? Look at this in Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards them that are without. What does it mean? The phrase without refers to those who are not members of the family of God, unbelievers, sinners, the unsaved. Are we clear? Are we clear? When you are around the unsaved, be wise. When you're on Twitter, be wise. When you're in a public space where unbelievers are, be wise. You know why? Towards them that are without, redeeming the time. Verse 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how you ought to answer every man. Seven. Okay. Verse 6. So, there are people asking questions, not with their mouths. You are not supposed to preach alone with your mouth. Some people are asking questions with their lives. Are you listening to me here? Their life is asking a question. And every time they meet you, they expect an answer. Not by what you say, but by how you live. Are you listening to me here? So, Paul says, there's a, way to, there's a code of conduct when unbelievers are around. That's the way to be. Many Christians are foolish. I will, hopefully, if I'm inspired and given all trans, and many of the things I will say may be very embarrassing, I may sound very extreme, but I want to make it applicable towards our present time 
circumstances, situations, so that we can really know in practical terms how to apply these scriptures. Are you listening to me here? Let me give an example of a foolish action. On Wednesday, Nigeria played a football match and won. One of our key players who was injured, his name, Victor Boniface, renowned for very interesting social media engagements, very interesting, he's quite a very funny person. He made a call to the perceived best player of Nigeria, Victor Osimen. Victor Boniface, Victor Osimen. Sound like Christians, right? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Victor Boniface put a call through to Victor Osimen, congratulating him for the victory. And in his own words, I will have to quote, permit the vulgar terms, but I will quote verbatim. He said, I beg, make when I give, he mentioned somebody else's name, I'm not sure what it was, the captain. Make when I give him three Olosho, he deserve him. For me, that's not an issue. Because even though he bears Victor, if his life does not affirm he knows the gospel, we will pray for him and trust that he will be saved. The mystery is that a Christian on Twitter deemed that a comic relief, shared it and laughed. <laughs> this boy served them too funny. A Christian. Oh, you're foolish. Oh, you're foolish. Oh, we're just, it's just for banter. It's just for foolishness. It's for foolishness. You did not find any other thing to share about the match. You didn't find any other banter to share. It is what hurts your maker. What pierces the soul of your savior that you want to share and laugh about. For you, it's just a game. It's just a spot. It's just a joke. And the angels are supposed to join you in laughing too. Give her three Olosho. It is over. <laughs> Funny, huh? The problem is that there are many foolish Christians. That's the truth. When you are an unbelievers, be wise. Be wise. Everybody's watching. You think nobody's watching. They are not just watching, they are asking questions. Their life is asking a question. And they are waiting for answers. They are looking at your life, waiting for an answer. And many of the answers you give them are wrong. Many of the answers you give them are fatal. Many of the answers you give them are eternally irredeemable. Many of the answers you give them build stronghold against God in their souls and they will never recover. Because a Christian did not live for the sake of the gospel. Are you listening to me here? In the day Paul told the Corinthian church about his sacrifices, he closed the remarks by saying, I'm doing all of this for the sake of the gospel, verse 23, so that I may be partakers of it. In other words, there are seeming blessings, there are seeming goodies reserved for those who sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. This is not just about making heaven here. Paul says there are some things I cannot partake of if I do not forfeit certain things. If I do not behave wisely amongst the saved. Although I'll go to heaven, of course I'm saved. That Christian who shared that, although it's foolish, he will make heaven. A foolish Christian, he will go to heaven. The Christian, that's his fundamental identity. The foolish is just an adjective. But he's going to, he believes in Jesus, he'll make heaven. When they get there, they may knock his head and say, Oh, Daniel, do you know how many people are sent to hell because of your action? Well, he'll go to heaven, of course. But there are some things he will not partake of. 
Are you listening to me here? Your life must count for the gospel. It does not count by luck or chance. There's a deliberate posture you assume. And people may not understand. Why is this person always like this? <laughs> you say, for the sake of the gospel. I'm going to keep using relatable terms. A lot of things have happened in the last one week that has armed me with ammunitions to fire my bullets today. So when you hear it, take it in. And if you are guilty, you repent. You are just. But our lives must begin to count for the purpose for which it exists. And I'm saying it exists ultimately for God's only project. The gospel. Everybody say the gospel. The gospel. I'm asking you to be an evangelist. I'm saying when you're on Facebook, the kind of pictures you like, the kind of posts you comment on, people are hearing your answers. You didn't, you didn't hear their questions. <laughs> but goodness me, they're asking questions and they are hearing your answers. In the, it had better be the right one you are giving. Otherwise, in the last day, God will hold you. Do you know? There will be blood in your hands. Blood in your hands. No blood in your hands. I'm saying here, the Christian is instructed, advised, don't live foolishly amongst the unsaved. Be wise. And the ultimate thing about living wisely is to make sacrifices for the sake of the gospel. Let me progress here because of time. There are five things I want to say that are sacrifices that you should begin to make for the gospel that will help us to become potent just in verbal evangelical Christianity, but in lifestyle evangelical Christianity. Many people are saying many things. Teaching many things. Preaching many things. I'm ever worried that our life is contradicting what we are saying. And for the unbeliever, their biggest answers is not obtained by what you say, but by what you do. Stop giving the impression that the unbeliever thinks that Jesus is loved because you sang, I love you, Jesus. <laughs> you, you really think that that daft? They see your life. They now measure. Does this person really love Jesus? They know what love is. Affection, commitment, devotion. They know. They too love some things. There are things they love. When you now say, I love Jesus, they measure. They say, ah. Me, I love money and I know what I do to get money. You say you love Jesus. What do you do for the sake of Jesus? I was watching a football match with my wife yesterday. It was pouring heavily. Roma versus Inter Milan. The rain was serious. The players were sweating in the rain. The fans were singing in the rain. I told my wife, wow. I say if it happens in church, people will not come to church. And they will ask them. They will say, it was raining. But look at adults. I'm not talking of children. Adults, maybe some of them are managers of the bank dancing in the rain because they are watching a 90 minute game it has no eternal consequence. When you say I love Jesus, <laughs> the unbeliever is not convinced. He watches your life. It's your life that will give the greatest answer. Not what you say. Anybody can talk. They watch for answers. They look at you. And if your answer is not accurate, you may as well condemn them to hell because you did not live wisely. Amongst the unsaved. 
Are you still with me? When I still like me, even if you don't like me, I could still be a firearm. Your life must count for what it's supposed to count for. The gospel. Five things here, very quickly. The first sacrifice you should make for the gospel is that you need to know the gospel. <laughs> Interestingly, I've been speaking about the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel, and there are people who don't know the gospel. In church, saved, born again, spirit filled, in quotes, tongue talking, church workers, ministers who do not know the gospel because they have not made this sacrifice to know the gospel. The gospel will not be known in convenience. It will take the sacrifice, the diligence of study, the labor of researching to understand the gospel thoroughly. And by understanding the gospel, I don't mean at a superficial level that just gets you to believe the gospel. If you are saved, there's a dimension of the gospel you understand that made you even believe in Jesus. But the gospel is, is very all-encompassing. It's the story of God's dealing with man. It's the story of man's depravity. It's the statement and the affirmation of the exclusiveness of Jesus as Savior. The gospel contains several other truths beyond if you believe, you will not perish. That's the ultimate end point. But there are so many things to also understand with respect to the gospel. So Peter says, in the day you are questioned, you must have an answer. Atheists will question you. Their lifestyle will question the authenticity of the faith. Will your life have an answer? Your life cannot have an answer if your mind does not understand the gospel. I'm saying to you that beyond trying to live mechanically for the sake of the gospel, what powers your behavior is knowledge. You act the way you act because of what you know. If you don't know the gospel as you should, you will not act well for the sake of the gospel. So for many people, it's not a behavior issue. It's not an act, action, attitude issue. It's that they don't know enough. For instance, many people do not know that the gospel is God's ultimate project. They don't know. They don't know where. They think God's ultimate project is to take over in the sense of having a Christian president, a Christian UN general secretary, having Christians win the Grammy Award. <laughs> For some people, that's what they think God is trying to do. God is trying to achieve all of that. Think God is what do you really think he is? The, the gospel is all that God is doing, all that He did, all that He will ever do, all that He has done. The gospel, but if you don't know it, you don't understand it, well, it will not power your life. There is a revelation installed in the soul of man that powers that life. It was what happened to the apostles of Jesus. They saw Jesus, especially his resurrection. That revelation of the resurrection powered their life. When Jesus died, all the apostles went into grieving. They hid. They were afraid. They were scared. But after the resurrection, there was audacity. There was boldness. There was confidence. There was loud preaching. Why? Revelation of knowledge. Now they knew. They saw him. He's risen. And so they went into all the nations. 
preaching the gospel. You cannot attempt to preach and live the gospel if you don't even know what the apostles knew. You don't know what they know. That's why many people think the gospel, we exaggerate it. Somebody pays one million naira to buy a ticket in Davido's concert, nobody complains. Somebody gives one million as tight. They say, ah, they don't scam you. Church don't scam you. Because the value we place on the gospel is very little. It's little because we don't know anything about it. We don't know anything about it. We don't know that what costs God his only son is a big deal. We may say it's a big deal, but we don't know. It has not dropped in your soul. If it does not influence your action, you don't know it. Are you listening to me? If you say, I know sin is bad, I have not stopped sinning, you don't know sin is bad. <laughs> if pot is hot, and you say, I know it is hot, it is not just hot, it has the capacity to burn me, and you are touching it, your knowledge is not complete. Why you touch this? Because you don't know as you ought to know. So if it does not influence your action, you don't know. Don't say, eh, the gospel is about the death, but that, that is, uh, Jesus Christ. They taught you like a nursery rhyme. You crammed the concept. You don't know it. So in the day, the 80s ask a difficult question. You are checking Google. Because you don't know it as you ought to know. It cannot, it cannot drive your life. In the day you see a Christian making sacrifices of the gospel, you think he's stupid. Like, can you big deal? Me too, me too, I'm born again. Huh? Ah. Me too, ah, me, me, I'm okay, my church too. Are you the only one that is the only, only Christian? You can't relate with that sacrifice because you don't know as you ought to know. Get into knowledge. Know the gospel. And I'm not just saying from a mental perspective. Soak your soul with the elements of that conversation. Understand thoroughly the depravity of man. Many of you think that there are good men outside Jesus because you don't know the gospel. Say he's not born again, but he's a good man. What's the definition of good? You because you, for you to say that you don't know the gospel, you don't know the heart of man, natural man, is desperately wicked. You don't know. You think the gospel is calf and beret. So when somebody's packaged, you just say, ah, that person is not that bad. Hi! You, you don't know. Many people don't know the wrath of God. They don't know the wrath of God. That's why they say if God is good, if God is love, if God is a good God, why is there hellfire? Because you don't know God. You don't know the gospel. Many people don't know the gravity of sin. What is, what, Adam, Adam just ate a tree from, from a garden. They now killed him. He's got a killer. Just because he ate three. You don't know the gravity of sin. In your head, you are just thinking, it's one small thing Adam did. You don't know the gospel. So all these things I'm mentioning are part of the gospel. The gravity of sin. The depravity of man. The wrath of God. The eternal state of man. Some of you think heaven and hell is a joke. Hmm. May you not learn by experience. You think it's a fable. <laughs> you think it's an idea that they used to catch people in church. <laughs> you don't know as you ought to know. Paul said the love of Christ constrains us. He says, knowing therefore the terror of God, we persuade men. Second Corinthians 5, I think, and verse 14. 
He said, we know the terror of God. So we persuade men. We appeal to men. I beg God, we could not repent. Because of that is life. And look at you, priest now. When you see a life sold out to the gospel, it is based on the knowledge he has about the concept that makes him that sold out. When you see a life not sold out, passive, it's because it's ignorant, it's unaware. He may recite it like a poem. He may quote scriptures, but he doesn't know the gospel. He doesn't know the urgency of it. He doesn't know the gravity of it. He doesn't know the weight of it. You will have to go and study the concepts. Then when it enters your soul, it will not begin to power your life. It will begin to determine what you do. It will begin to control your life. You will be able to relate with the face of Paul. What is me if I don't preach the gospel? What is me? Why are you cursing yourself? <laughs> you don't know what I know about this subject. If you know what I know, you will say it with me. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Woe is me. I'm undone. Ah, Paul was quite wild in his perception. In Romans, I think in Romans chapter 9, he says, I wish that I was accursed. Or Romans chapter 11 now, verse 1. I wish I was accursed for my own brethren's sake. What kind of a person will wish a man, a man will wish himself to be accursed? In other words, he wishes to even be depraved like them, just so that he can save them. It is the kind of thing that the rich man in hellfire discovered. Okay, 9-3 of Romans. The rich man got there and discovered, hey, this place is real. He said, Biko, let me send somebody to my brother. <laughs> he now knew. <laughs> he didn't, when he was on the earth, he did not know. Do you know when he now got to hell, he forgot about himself. Do you know he was not concerned about himself again? He said, Send food to my brother. Wow, suddenly he became selfless. Wow, when knowledge hits you to condition your life, to condition your life, many people don't know that's why they behave the way they behave. Are you listening to me here? Number two, for the sake of the gospel. Sacrifice to make. Live as a spiritual person. Simple as that, I will explain it. Live as a spiritual person. Why? Because the whole idea of the gospel involves the truth that the Christian is a spiritual person, has a spiritual heritage, has spiritual life, has a spiritual destination, Understand spiritual things, relates with a spirit called God and other spirits such as angels and demons where necessary. That lifestyle that affirms your spirituality is not too much to ask for. It's the least you can do as somebody who is a Christian. I'm not saying get dressed to church. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that you are in school and everybody's talking about their dreams and their ambition and what they want to achieve for themselves. And when they hear your answer, it doesn't sound like the answer of a natural human being. They're like, ah, that's weird. So the reason why you're trying to get this degree and get a PhD is so that blah, 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 you will not do it for the gospel. I mean, that's why I go through all this stress. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And if you have not started living like that, you have not started living. Your identity must be spiritual. That when natural men look at you, they wonder, 
What manner of man is this? Why does he talk like this? Why does he not chase the things we chase? Why is he not interested in things we are interested in? Why does he not panic at what we panic at? Why is he not afraid at what we are afraid of? What manner of man is this? That's what he said about Jesus. When he woke up from the sleep and calmed the storm. What manner of man is this? You may not calm the storm. But there's a way you live that will answer the question of the unbeliever. You live as a spiritual man, not as a carnal man. There are too many carnal expressing Christians. Too many. Too many. Too many Christians living for the temporal, the earthly, the ephemeral. Obsessed with the temporal, the earthly, the ephemeral. Concerned about the desires of the natural man. What to eat, what to wear. So when we preach the gospel and we say we are going to heaven, the unbeliever is confused. A deacon in church, he has 17 houses. So they ask him, where are you going after this earth? He said, he's going to heaven. When last did you donate to a missionary? Ah, no, that's not my calling. I'm not a kingdom financier. So, how do you explain to the unbeliever that you are going to heaven and on this earth you build 17 mansions which you will not carry to your grave and you are saying you have never supported with as much effort as you have supported your natural spending. You have never supported the gospel like that. How do you explain to the, to the unbeliever that heaven is real? How do you explain that? We did not laugh at your logic. Heaven is real and all your investments are on the earth. You also say heaven is forever. Eh? Heaven is forever. And all your investments are on the earth. Ah, it doesn't make any meaning. It doesn't make any meaning. If I was an unbeliever, I won't believe. I honestly won't believe. When I see the way Christians chase money, chase fame, chase popularity, they later come and say, This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I, I, you are confusing me, sir. It's not your home. And you chase something like this. And it's not your home. What are you not doing with your home? You know they chase your home like this now. What you call home? You don't put attention to it like this now. Why are you confusing people? <laughs> Glory to Jesus. For the sake of the gospel, live spiritual. I don't want them to think I'm spiritual. Okay, what are you? Canal Coco? What are you? First verse chapter 2 and verse um, 9. Chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises. It's not by singing. You don't show forth praises by singing. No crime in singing, no harm in singing, but by your life. The word show forth is to dispense. By your action, attitude, behavior, mannerism. The praise of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 11. We'll continue over verse, yeah, verse 11. Dear beloved. Verse 11, please. I beseech you, I beg you. Because you're a stranger. 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 All these attempts to conform. 
to canal vibes, to canal trends. Strange. You are a stranger and a pilgrim. And so you should abstain from fleshy lust. The word fleshy lust does not really mean sin. It refers to ambitions, desires that are selfish, natural, carnal, not sinful. He says they war against your soul. They war against your soul. It's, it's amazing how when the church copies the world. The world does an advertisement strategy. The church picks up and does them. <laughs> boy, 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 boy. Do you know who we are? Do we do we know who we are? Live as a spiritual person. That's the least you can do. That lifestyle of spirituality speaks. It convicts. It reminds. It witnesses. It compels the unbeliever to think about his life. To think about his life. In the days of early church persecution, one of the most remarkable things that happened was that people observed the kind of peace, and I will amplify this shortly in a more elaborate way, the kind of peace that Christians had when they were about to be executed. Somebody I heard the story of I read the story of a woman whose execution was that she was going to be her head was going to be cut off. So the executioner took the axe and struck, but he missed the shot. In those days, if you miss a shot on the executioner, they can kill you. Because they're like, are you, are you, are you? You're trying to allow her escape. So the woman said, Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry, you missed it. Let me let me set it very well. Hey, fear catch the executioner. Say, I won't cut your head. You say, make I help you. King, can help you. What do you know? Who are you? What kind of woman? Are you a witch? Then he confirmed. Oh, it's those Christians. Hey, there must be something about those Christians. They don't panic even in the face of death. What do they have that we don't have? That's what allowed for many unbelievers to be converted. Many. It's not every time that God removes believers from the fairy furnace. It's not every time. He can. The three people just say, he's able to, but even if he, he does not. <laughs> we are not going to bow. <laughs> we are not going to bow. It's not every time he delivers from the fairy furnace. John the Baptist was beheaded. God approved it. Peter was crucified upside down. God approved it. Paul was beheaded. God approved it. <laughs> approved by God. But in the face of the seeming worst moment of the Christian, God can still take the glory if the Christian behaves well in public. I can imagine the shock of the executioner. A woman about to be crucified, about to be beheaded, and yet she's still caring about me. Say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. How can I help you do it better? Ah, little, ah, me where I they leave? Fear they catch me. You you won't die. Me I they leave. Fear they catch me. There's a way to live wise. Be wise. Glory to Jesus. How to live spiritual? Stop being ashamed of your heritage. You are a spiritual person. 
Whatever is born of spirit is spirit. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. You are a spiritual person. You can't change it. You can't change it. It is who you are. The better, the, the earlier you accept it, the better for you. It is who you are. That's your name. That's your identity. That's your essence. Stop trying to betray yourself. Stop it. There's no need. Are you listening to me? <laughs> There's a man who I take to school when I'm going to drop Perez. So, if you see me 8 o'clock on Monday morning, I don't look like a preacher. If I look like a Yahoo boy. And my car is also tinted. So you may be thinking, So pick them up. He and his boy. I don't know him. Just saw him. I go to the same school. Right, let's go now. He just looked at me, greeted me. After one week, he said, hey, I want to confess something. I said, confess, no problem. Say, sir. I did not know, but I'm even confused. Say, but you must be a good, godly man. I said, really? He said, I was even dropping my child in, in the school. And I was now telling somebody, see, the way this man dresses, he does not dress like pastor. Boy, he, there's something about him that's doing pastor. That is doing pastor. I've not preached to him yet. I'll preach, but I've not preached to him yet. <laughs> I don't come my air when I'm going to school. If you see me dropping parents, you will honestly believe. I'm a young boy, honestly. You ask, is this your child? I can be very casual. I can be very casual. I can be very casual. So I, and that's how I carry him to school every day. And this young, this man wanting, this guy is giving me a, there's a vibe I'm getting that is godly, holy. But I cannot trace it to any external thing like dressing. I can't. It's not, I don't sag my trouser. Or, that's not what I'm talking And I don't wear a ring and keep dressing. That's not what I'm talking about. Amen. But he could, he, could, he could perceive a fragrance. There's, there's something godly about this man. So he was not lamenting to his fellow person in school. I want to say, ah, you don't know the man. He's actually a pastor. Is he? Is he a pastor? Say yes. How <laughs> about you're fine? But then, it is because I'm a Christian. Not because I'm a pastor. It's Christianity. I'm, I'm not practicing pastoralism as it were. It's just Christianity. If you pray two hours every morning, there's a fragrance of God. If you don't say anything, if you walk on the street, someone should look at you and like, ah, I don't know, but there's something about this guy. <laughs> I don't know, but there's, there's something about this guy. I cannot touch it. I cannot explain it, but there's something about this guy. There's a fragrance oozing out. I have seen it happen since my teenage years. Teenage years. I walk on the street like this, and old people we ask for help. Be- not because I'm dressed in a particular way that suggests I can help them. But there's a fragrance of life. And then, I never used to smile. I still don't smile. I don't look like somebody that can offer help in the natural. But there's a fragrance louder than facial expressions. If it did, if it didn't, day, didn't day. you can't force it. You can't act it. You can't fake it. It's life. It's life. It's what it is. Are you listening to me here? Live spiritual, act spiritual. Don't be denying your spiritual identity when you get out there in the world. Let your light so shine amongst men. Let them see your good works and glorify your father. Let them see. Let them see. Let them see. 
Stop covering the light. Who has light and put it under a bushel for goodness sake? Let it shine. Let it shine. Your light is your spiritual vibe. If everybody's manifesting carnal vibe, manifest spiritual vibes. Are you listening to me here? For the sake of the gospel. That's why. Anybody stressful, I know. It's not as stressful as dying. It's not as stressful as, as being beheaded. It's not as stressful as being crucified upside down. It's not as stressful as being burnt on a stake. It's not as stressful as being amputated or being drowned in a river because you share the Bible. That's the least church fathers ask of you. The least, the least, the least suffering. The least. They want to call you spirit coco. They want to call you deeper life. What should they call you? Shallow life? What kind of identity do you want to be here? Are you listening to me here? Yeah. To chase husbands away. You want to marry an ungodly man? You want to marry people that don't love God, who are not attracted to God? Is that what you want to marry? Want to marry a man who celebrates a Valentine with alcohol after the drinking, not punch you and say, You know, I love you. So what you want? Keep packaging yourself as a carnal person? Deny your identity? Is that what you want? Then act spiritual for the sake of the gospel. Are you listening to me here? Let your culture be spiritual. I was listening to a dear man of God. Forgotten his name now. Maybe I'll remember later. And I was explaining the concept. At work, that's what God was saying. At work, when everybody comes late and you come early and they say, ah, Blessing, they pay this guy extra money. So, no, they're not giving me any extra. Why are you going to do this kind of thing? See, they never pay us. Today, now, third, new months. I'm not going to come work early. Now, after that, go work tomorrow. And you say, ah, but no, we'll still come. Your culture suggests you are chasing something else apart from money. You're not just chasing money, you're not just chasing a degree. You're chasing something else. Are you listening to me here? Let them confirm from you and say, why are you like this? Why are you so different? Why don't you do vengeance? Why don't you treat others the way they treat you? That madam no like you. She always yab you. Yet you always get down well. Why? Let it be seen. Let it be seen that you come from a different civilization. Your culture is different. I'm spiritual. I don't do an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I don't do that. I do love your enemies. Bless those that cross you. That's what I do. That's what I practice. Do good to those who hate you and despitefully use you. That's what I practice. For the sake of the gospel. Are you with me? Ephesians 4 and verse 1 to 3. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation where which you are called. What's the vocation? The vocation of the gospel. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Put it in the NLC, start from verse 1 again. Therefore, I, a prisoner, for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. 
You have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourself together with peace. I will explain this more explicitly very shortly. But number three, it taught sacrifice to make for the gospel. Honor the sacredness and seriousness of the Christian faith. Honor the sacredness and seriousness of the Christian faith. The gospel is serious business. It is serious business if people are going to spend the rest of eternity in hellfire. If people are going to burn for one trillion years and that is just to speak. It is serious business. If people are going to be lost forever in darkness and anguish separated from God forever if they don't believe it, it is serious business. Christians cannot afford to seem like the gospel is not serious. People that claim to be Christians cannot afford to speak like there is nothing at stake. The elements of our faith, the actions of our faith must be held, especially in public, in highest esteem, honored as something sacred and serious. I'll give you another example. I told you about the man Victor Benefis who called his colleague to rejoice over football. And then one of his tweets he also said, all the blood of Jesus we are supposed to use for my lifetime, I don't use them for this much. And then it was also confirmed that on Twitter a phrase was raining. The phrase was blood of Jesus. And why was it raining? Because people were watching ball and their hearts could not take it and they were saying, blood of Jesus. Now do you think you can preach and say, the blood of Jesus makes you white as snow. And anybody will take you seriously. You really believe. Anybody will take you seriously. You really believe. <laughs> I will conclude that it's not as serious as I'm making it look. It's not as simple just as we used on Twitter that day. It's not as serious. Don't try to scare me. Abba. So by the blood, you can be saved. Which blood? The one we talk casually about on things like sports and games. Which blood? Which blood? I'm not going to take it seriously, honestly. If I'm an unbeliever, and you bring the blood of Jesus to me, I'll say, I beg, <laughs> shift with blood. Why? Because Christians don't hold the tenets, the tokens of the faith in sacred gravity. They don't. I was asking my wife, I was telling my wife, I said, I am shocked, embarrassed, and afraid that every, not every, but almost the major Christian leaders Especially music leaders. We're using phrases that are sacred to watch ball. People were chanting in tongues. You are not angry that a content creation, a skit maker, use your tongue to be advertising breast. What should he use? He can't use Alaku Akba. Not because Hala is great, but because Muslims 
hold their religion sacred. 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 He can't use a lot of He can use blood of Jesus. He can use a Lucas fire. Why? Because you use when you're watching ball. <laughs> and you thought nobody hate you. Somebody hate you. I said, oh, so that fire is not sacred. It's not a big deal. Oh, it's even for cruise. Somebody hate you. Somebody hate you. Are you listening to me here? We are not serious. <laughs> That's why they don't take us seriously. When we say hell, they think we are cutting cruise. When we say hell fire, they think we are choking. Because we come on Twitter, come on Facebook, come on Instagram, and open our mouth and say sacred things without any fear. Nobody will take us seriously. Nobody. Are you listening to me? Young people these days find it so easy to conform to unseriousness in the name of being relevant or appearing humorous. I always find it very amusing. You want people to laugh when they check the status. And they'll type LOL. Oh, hello, hello, hello. Well, hello, you do our DFT. It gives you joy when somebody does that to you. Huh? You don't know where you're doing. Because today you will type, come to church. Today we have a serious prayer meeting. Your next status is showing a meme that ridicules the sacredness of your feet. The next one too does that. The third one too does that. The first one too does that. You now think any reasonable person will take you seriously. You really think. Are you listening to me? The gospel is similar to life vocations, such as a lawyer and a doctor. Let me ask you a question. You have a, a contact on your phone. He's a lawyer. You have a case that can determine whether you spend 50 years in prison or 5 months in prison. Depending on the intelligence of your lawyer. You have four lawyers on your phone contact. The first one, his name is Tunde. Five of his men's memes are jokes, ridicules, humor, laugh, play, play, games. He jokes about everything. You call him, Abby. Call him. Call him. You have a doctor on your phone. You have a doctor. It's a doctor. You know it's a doctor. We have never seen him take life seriously. You are sick. And you know this sickness, he may be unto death. You will call him, Abi. You say, give me advice. You call him. You won't call him. You look for somebody serious. Somebody serious. Ah, this is life and death matter. I, don't, I can't play with my life. Yes. You don't know the gospel is life and death. That's why you joke around and expect anybody to ask you about Jesus. Which Jesus? Which one? The one you don't take seriously? The one you can't cruise with? The one you want to play around, laugh about with Jesus? I should commit my eternal destiny into somebody who just wants to catch cruise. I'm not that stupid. Come on. I'm not that stupid. Why would tell Christians be serious? They think this one is a sadist. Everything's serious, serious. Church flyer, church flyer. 
You are saved for the sake of the gospel. How many of you think you know me? How many of you think you know me? Raise your hand. Okay. Raise it well. How many of you consider me boring? Be serious. Be truthful. Be truthful. How many of you consider me boring? You don't consider me boring. So why do you think the only way to be interesting is to be irresponsible? To be careless? To be irreverent? Why? Why? You think you will sit down with Jesus and you will be bored? <laughs> oh boy. You say, hey, Christianity is not boring. That's why you are, you are remixing Davido's song. You say the gospel version. Boy. Is that what you call not boring? Have you tried healing the sick? Have you tried raising the dead? Have you attempted to grow out short arms and short legs? You don't know. You don't know excitement. You don't know. You don't know. No sacredness again. Pastors are doing collabo with comedians. No sacredness again. You wonder. Wait, 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 wait. What are you talking about? Oh, the whole concept of sacredness has been removed. You expect the comedian customer to take us seriously again. Ah, uh, you say everything now. <laughs> you say everything now. No. Today, if Obama to be played, people are going to come out and say, I declare and declare, Nigeria shall win. Are you not stupid? You, you, you think, declare and declare. You say, you say, you say, you say, you say, what do you think it is? The capacity to create things. You think it's a, it's, a, it's a loose ability? What do you, what do you think the faith is? You have never declared and declared any missionary to be released. Kidnappers told them. Or kidnappers. You have never declared and declared that one. I declare and declare that Nigeria will win. Then when or if, sorry. If Nigeria does not win, you think the unbeliever will take you seriously when next you say, I declare and declare. You shall be aware with me. You, you, think, you think anybody will take you seriously? You don't know what you're doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you Desecrate the faith. Desecrate the sacrifice of the faith. That you think that the unbelievers will be attracted to us. If they become attracted, they're attracted to the wrong version. Wrong version. Wrong version. Glory to Jesus. As he they enter, he they pain you, I'll be with you. Anyone way to make it change you. But I sweet, I be bitter, make it change you. Christianity is not a joke. It's a joke. Somebody died to make us sons of God. Don't joke with that. Don't play with that. Come on. If people don't believe that, they will perish forever. That's not something to, that's not something to cut cruise with. Hey! That's something to be serious about. Something to be sober about. Give me titles on the screen. As a titles. I repent. That's part of catching cruise. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. That's part of catching cruise. So it's God's sacred word. The same affliction and temptation is in all of us. Book of titles. <laughs> 
If he spits you or he pain, you shall repent. I'm not trying to condemn you. You see, me say I kept my one wala. Maybe I like the fish. I don't know why I would say that on the holy stage. So you can imagine when I'm at home alone, what I'm tempted to say. But once I know that, ah, ah, I should change. I say, Leo, book of Titus. I've been to Titus. You know, chapter, chapter two, right? Chapter 2. Start from verse 1. But speak now the things which become a sound doctrine. This is what becomes sound doctrine. This is what is sound doctrine. If you don't know it, know it now. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. Go ahead. We are reading downwards. The aged women likewise that they may be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not giving too much wine, teachers of good things. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands. That one I shut at the table that say, Women cannot love. It's only a man that can love. So I shut at the table. I remove it completely. Amen. That's not my topic. Move on. To love their children. To be discreet, chaste. Look at the phrases used. Discreet, chaste. Keep us at home. Good obedience to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men, likewise, exhort again to be sober minded. You see everybody play, laughing, play. You're just wondering, what's your pastor? Who's your pastor? Does it teach you sound doctrine? In all things showing that there's a pattern of good works, doctrine showing on corruptness. Gravity. Aye, these are powerful words. We'll probably read it in the NLT later. Sincerity. Next statement. Next verse. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. That he that is of the contrary part, that is the unbeliever, may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. This is this. No, it's not sound doctrine because they preach new creation reality. I am the righteousness of God. If I fornicate, I will still be raptured. Rubbish. Is that sound doctrine? Rubbish. Teach young men, teach young women, teach old men to be sober, grave, discreet, taste. Put in the NLT. Let's see the meaning of those words that we used. From verse 1, please. This is the end. So that they will not have anything to say against you. So that those that are unbelievers will be ashamed. They hear you speak and they say, wow. Yeah? Especially a young person like me. Look at how responsible he carries himself. Look at his words. Seasoned with grace. As for you, Titus promotes the kind of living that reflects wholesome teachings. Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, and to live wisely. You must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes, to do good, to be submissive to their husbands, then they will not bring shame on the word of God. This same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. You yourself must be an example to them. Do good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Come on. Come on. People don't take you seriously, honestly. You see a church flyer one status. What you say the next, we are confused. Are you serious? Can you be serious? 
Will you ever be serious? Is life a joke to you? Life a joke to you? Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. This is how <laughs> you live for the sake of the gospel. When I see they feel me. We'll read verse 9 or verse 8 to 10 later. Just stay on this verse. Number 4. Is it number 4? Not 5 points. I have not 5 points. Okay, let's just keep going. Make the gospel attractive in public. How? Now read verse 9 and 10. There's a phrase in the King James that is used. I'd like you to see it intelligently. 9 to 10 of Titus chapter 2. Exhort servants to be obedient to masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. The word not answering again. We'll read, it, we'll read it later in the NLT. So just let's keep reading. Not Paul loining. It's actually talking about stealing, but we read it again in another version. But showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, and all things. What does it mean to adorn the doctrine? It means to wear makeup, to decorate the doctrine. In other words, there's a way you live that can decorate the doctrine of Christianity or make it ugly. Give me the NLC. Slaves must always obey their masters. So the context here is employee and employer. And do their best to please them. They must not talk back. In other words, they must not argue. I will show you my other side though. Not because you are giving me 30,000 you do that, you are making the gospel ugly. Amen. Amen. Or still, I deserve it. I took from the money because I deserve it. And these people are not paying me well. They don't do that. But must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. We don't make Christianity attractive by stage lights and colorations and inviting the best musicians. Mm -mm 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 -mm. That's not what makes Christianity attractive. There's a way to make the gospel attractive. You don't steal. You show yourself trustworthy and good. Then the teaching about God our Savior becomes attractive in every way. You don't retaliate. You don't revenge. You submit to other authorities, civil authorities, workplace authority, you submit because you are actually submitting to God when you submit to them. Are you listening to me here? If you don't make the gospel attractive, people will not come to the gospel because of the way you dressed the gospel. There's a version of the gospel that only you can manifest. You must dress it well. Dress it well. 
If you don't dress it well, people will misunderstand the gospel. They will misinterpret the gospel. They will misapply the gospel because of you. Make the gospel attractive. Your public behavior at work, at school. Stop carrying a spoon. What's your name? Michael. Michael, don't you? Michael. Angeli. So they go, you say, Rabbana. All these Rabbana children, that's what they did, Rabbana. All these two generation churches. It's a new generation. Fine, but we like Jesus. Don't you? Yeah, it's not your fine boy that makes the gospel attractive. It's not your fine boy. <laughs> it can't be your fine boy. It is your acting trustworthy, reliable, good, dependable. That's what makes you, that's what makes the gospel attractive. Glory to God. Let me move on here. Number five. Live graciously. Let me explain further. This has been recorded in other sentiments, but let me explain further. Because the gospel is about grace, God's mercy to forgive sinners. See, the idea of gospel is describing something that is too good to be true. The phrase gospel it's just a phrase that tries to capture the <laughs> reality. The reality of good news that is so good, if somebody heard it, they will never believe that it is, it is real. God has died for the world. Everybody can make heaven. Even Boko Haram. Yes. If they believe. If they believe. No matter how sinful they are. Sounds too good. Like, ah, ah, ah. Sounds too good. However, because it sounds too good, there's a lifestyle that can affirm it. Are you listening to me here? How many of you have done something to somebody and the person is like, ah, in Nigeria, somebody is this good. Maybe you saw money and you returned it to somebody. Say, ah, in this economy, you are still returning stolen, lost money. See, now true, I've been a dream. Now, that kind of a lifestyle affirms the possibility of the gospel. But if human beings can be this good, how much more God? Are you following me? Gracious living. You have extra change in your hand. The bike man, he negotiated 150 with you. You gave him 200. He said, me only change. I don't know what change. Say, Daddy, am I worried? Say, eh? I'm away. I'm away. In this economy. Yeah, sounds too good to be true. 15 naira, really. To surprise you, how many people will be surprised with 15 naira? Like, are you a woman or you an angel? They can, they can pray one, one million naira worth of prayer for you there. They'll pray for you, pray for your generation, pray for your generation, generation. Because you left 15 naira. Are you following me? Graciousness is cheap for the Christian. You can afford to. Okay, you don't have money, no problem. Somebody is very rude to you, very rude to you. You smile every morning. I say good morning. Say, are you greeting me? He says yes. You. But he knows I don't. I don't like him. He knows I cost him every morning. But I will still greet you. 
gracious. The idea is that you are trying to reflect the nature of God who has paid for the sins of wicked people. So when you tell them that God paid for your sin, they can understand because you have acted like that. When you tell them there's no sin that God cannot forgive, they can understand because they have done things that they thought, the person will never forgive me, and you forgive them. So they can understand. Are you getting the gist here? Live graciously. Now, things are hard in Nigeria. Be giant to one or men. The money they raise by four. Some of you, you know, you were taking a hostel to school, 100 naira. When four was 150. Now it is 650. You saw the become 100 naira. You are not gracious. Why? Why? The money of four increased like times three. You want to pay the same amount? I, I used to reason now. To reason. When the man has said he's you not being insulting him. About you, you are too brutal. Ah, you are too greedy. Times three. Be gracious. Amen. Amen. Look at people and just pick them up and just love upon them. Just give them something. They don't have to know you. You don't have to know them. They don't have to do anything. Give people things they don't deserve. That is exemplifying the gospel. We don't deserve to be saved. We deserve hell. But Jesus died for us. Leave that out. So when else you are preaching, they can understand what you are saying because your life has communicated the message already beforehand. Are you listening to me here? Yes, sir. Not Christian. We put Bible for armpits. They fight conductor for bus stop. Ha. <laughs> so forget I go show you my other color for here. Say because I be Jesus person, you go to treat me anyhow. You be treat me, I know my right. Paul said it was my right to collect from you, but if you didn't have the gospel, let you go. There are people I know, this one is a thief. But take. I will see if it is so that you will live long enough to repent. If you die now, you go to hell. So take. <laughs> live gracious. I did that with some people. They are stealing from me, but I'm still gracious to you. They are stealing from me, no problem. I'm still gracious to you. And truly, one day they repented. If they had died, if I said, well, you go fire. Da! Be gracious. You too. Look at it in scriptures. Look at the way it said in Titus chapter 3. I think in verse 1. Okay. Uh, okay, start from verse 2. Then it's actually verse 3. But start from verse 2. Speak evil of no man. Don't be a brawler. That is, don't be fighting. Don't be. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. You know, fit you as Christian. Don't show anybody. Show them love. Tell them, show me love. Tell them, I love you get. Show me what you get. You get. Don't they pretend. Don't they disguise. You know, I love you get. If you like add face like Pastor Judah, now I love you get. <laughs> Glory. Not brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Why? For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish. We have been there before. <laughs> We used to be foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Verse 4. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior towards men appeared. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But by according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So you see, Paul says, 
you can be kind to other people because God has been kind on you. If God has been harsh on you, then you can be harsh on others. If God has been soft on you, as it were, you should be soft on others. Let your life reflect what you have received. Glory to God. Once again, but if you don't know the gospel, you would think, God has not been fair on me. When I ask you, I say, Tunde left me. John left me. But you are going to heaven. Jesus did not leave you. I lost a job. I lost my father. But you did not lose the most important thing, the Holy Ghost. If you don't know the gospel, you will attach it to temporal things, financial things, material things. And then you behave in a disorderly way. But when you know, he loves me. He died for me. He gave me everything. That somebody, you know, being a Christian is a prison. When people say, hi, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I understand. Somebody called me, I was asking for money. I had in my heart, I said, no. And the only thing I could hear was, but God does not have in his heart to you. I just melt. Christianity is a prison. It is. It is. A good one, though. I would. I would that, everybody is actually in a prison. Everybody is in a prison. There are prisons and there are prisons. I've gone for prison evangelism before. I've seen Nigerian prisons. I've seen pictures of prison in Norway. I said, now, prison, I've been in a mansion. People, the prisons, they are so empty. The country works, so there's no need for crime. But even the ones that are stupid, they still catch. There's basketball courts, there's TV. <laughs> Inside prison. So prison, past prison. <laughs> the one I went for, the one, the one I went to in Kuala State, you won't be able to preach again. You'll be crying. You'll get there, you just start crying. And human beings live here. Human beings live here. Then when you give them one bag of gary, the prison warden will collect half. So eventually, what will get to the prisoners is one cup. There are levels to this wickedness. But the point you are making is that when you live as a Christian for the gospel, you are constrained to be gracious. To be merciful because God has shown you mercy. Amen. Amen. Say God has shown me mercy. Numbers. What number? Six. Don't join the murmuring. This all of this are with respect to public lifestyles, especially. Public lifestyles, especially public. When things are going tough and hard and rough and everybody's feeling the heat, the Christian is supposed to reflect a vibe that affirms his eternal existence. The issue with murmurings is that it doesn't stop with you. It gives God a bad name. You shared Pastor Judas post. Individual, he said, the world will never get better. Your only advantage in life is that you are from above. 
people will ask you, send me this video. You sent it. So your next WhatsApp status. Now, wow, it's life safe. You see, you see that you are confusing your enemies. You, <laughs> I mean, how does he add up? How does he add up? See, I think that the issue is that many of us underestimate the faculty, thinking faculty of unbelievers. You think that they don't notice things. You think they don't take notes. They notice, they notice that you are confused. The last quote you shared said, no matter what happens, God is my provider. His name, Jehovah Jireh. The next slide of the gospel status. We know we see something chop for this country safe. This man no go kill us. You know what I'm saying? That's reality. Hmm? <laughs> okay, the former one you posted was what? Acting. <laughs> when you mama publicly, you give God a bad name. A bad name. It doesn't stop with you. They see you go to church. They see you do nine VG. They see you pray. They see you do anointing service. When you complain like them, they say, all of us are the same. So when you go and preach, I say, Jesus will change your life. They look at you, see? Change your life from what to what? Because me and you are the same thing now. We complain about the same thing. We are afraid of the same thing. That's why God hated the murmuring of Israel. He hated it. Every time they murmured, they were saying, God, you are irresponsible. God, you are a failure. God, you are a failure. Don't join the murmuring. Look at it in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14 to 15. Ah, there's so much scripture. But um, I'll just do 10 more minutes. Remove one table and we'll go home. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Once again, all of this is for the sake of the gospel. Amen. Amen. That you may be blameless and harmless to sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation amongst whom you shine as light in the world. When you murmur, you begin to manifest darkness. Especially publicly. I murmur, but I make sure it's private. There are things I've typed and I, I delete it. I, say, I, can't, I, can't, I can only say it in my heart or talk to my wife. I can't go public on it. Because they will say the God of Pastor Judah is, is dead. And then another dimension to this that in tough and difficult times, don't Act like the world as though there is no hope. The strongest example was used by Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. To, with respect to people dying and people mourning the dead, Paul says in verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13, we should not mourn like people without hope. So our burial funeral services must be different as a Christian. You can't go to Christian funeral service. Everybody wore black. Every eye red. Every eyes bleeding tears. And somebody now says, we shall see again. You don't believe I will say, now cruise the cat, I'll be the now. If we go see again, why is everybody? Now, of course, I've, I've had my own episode, so I've lost my father, I've lost my stepmother. A very church member. So, and in all those times, I've had my moments of weeping. Eh? But I will not mourn like they without hope. Because my life is a message. 
I must learn to say, brace up, boy. There's hope. There's a resurrection morning. And beyond seeing it in someone, my composure must have found that. So I lost my father on Saturday. On Sunday, I was preaching here. Yeah. Yeah. No, I lost him on a Friday. Buried him next Saturday. Preached on Sunday. Just says, I was saying something. I was saying something. I was saying, he can listen to me. He's listening to my sermon right now. He can hear me. He can see me. He's not deleted. They did not remove him from a recycle bin. He exists somewhere, but I can't relate with him. But I will see him again. So when I preach to the believer, I say, there's resurrection. He can relate. Because he has seen me act like there's resurrection. I've lost him now, my father, over six years. I've never done remembrance. Today, I remember my father. And now, force myself to cry. Why? Why? Why are you opening wounds that are closing? You want to really open them? And you think anybody will take it seriously when you say there's resurrection money? Nobody will take it seriously. So Paul says, I will not have you ignorance concerning them which are asleep, aka dead, that you sorrow not. Is this, is this the Bible? Is this the Bible? Because some of you think I'm too strict. Let people mourn the way they want to mourn. I'm only preaching the Bible. That you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. That's the emphasis. Even if you are going to sorrow, don't sorrow like there's no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, also them also which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him? Are you together? Are we together? So, there are bad things that will happen. Our reaction to bad things will make others know that, okay, this will have a hope that we don't have. This will know something that we don't know. This will have seen something that we have not seen. And then they will ask us, why? Then we will say, the gospel of Jesus. Are we clear? One last point here. I think that's number seven. Uh, so there were seven points. <laughs> Interesting. In summary, is what I call evangelical etiquette. Evangelical etiquette is very encompassing. There are many dimensions to it, but because of time, let me just give little examples. The idea of evangelical etiquette is that you behave in a way that affirms the gospel with respect to giving an impression, especially about unbelievers. Let me give an example. About unbelievers, about even God. All of this is all part of evangelical etiquette, but let me just use a few examples to portray this point. If an unbeliever walks in here and he is very rich, you should have enough Christian sense not to rate him highly. Because if you do, he would not believe he needs your Jesus. So if Davido walks in here now, I have to make an announcement. Say, he now come and meet me and say, Davido is in church. And I say, what a thank God. The church is moving forward. We are going stronger and stronger. We have in the priest now I miss a very notable Nigerian figure. His name, brother David. Then if you give water and all the, all the girls say, oh, Davido, now, if you give out a call, even if the widow knows she should come out, the widow will feel like this people, they all envy me, they want to be like me, they all celebrate me. What do they have that I don't have? So you have your evangelical etiquette has already defeated that. Are you following me here? That's why you see in James chapter 2. James says, 
we cannot be doing partiality in church. Rich men enter church, you give them professional treatment, it can't work like that. That way you betray the essence of the gospel. And the gospel emphasizes the equality of all men. Rich, intelligent, if you don't have Jesus, you are going to hell. Period. The only thing that makes you acceptable to God is Christ. That's what the gospel teaches. The way to bottle that point is that when you see an unbeliever, you don't rave over them. You don't rave over them. Like the, they have something you don't have. Are you listening to me? I'll give another example with respect to Christian activity in public. Evangelical ethic. And I'm sorry, I'm breaking the table here. The people involved, I don't mean anything. I don't mean to criticize them. But I want to give relatable examples. Or relatable examples. I was worried that on Alleluia Challenge on Wednesday, people were dressed in Nigerian jersey. You know why? What if I'm a South African? What impression are you giving me about your God, about the gospel, about your Jesus? So you want Nigerian Jesse to do a Lelia challenge? Oh God of Super Eagles, we thank you. So what if I'm a Bafana Bafanian? I'm in South African and I'm also a Christian. What impression about Jesus will I have? Will I be able to participate in that Alleluia challenge? Many of us don't know evangelical ethics. We don't. We don't know our actions give a bad impression about the gospel. We don't know. Are you following me? It's etiquette. When you want to do something, consider what is the impact on the unsaved? What's the impact on the unchurched? What's the impact on the gospel? What impression will I give? Stop trying to cut crews with Christianity. Stop trying to create content with Christianity. It's sacred. Be careful. You will give an impression that God is partial. God is biased. Because even if you claim Nigerians prayed, oh, they told that South Africans don't pray. They told that there are no Christians there. Do you understand me? Yes, For fans of the Tanyabasi and the Alelia Challenge, please continue. The challenge is awesome. The miracles there are outstanding. But when you get there, do better. If you know better, you'll do better. What I'm saying is, if you have the influence of those guys now, in the next future, do better. You have learned. We are teaching you so that you will do better. Everybody will act according to what they know. That's why we don't, we're not criticizing them. They don't listen to us, so <laughs> it's not like we're criticizing them. But we're trying to use that template to say, see, this is it. See it like this. See it like this. See it like this. So that you too, you too, you will be wise. Many people do foolish things. Foolish things. And they wonder, why is Christianity not attractive? Uh, you, look at what you're doing now. Look, look at what you're doing. Are we clear? Stand to your feet. Let's pray. Just pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Whatever has been said that has made any meaning to you, just um, soak it in and adjust accordingly. Adjust accordingly. There's so much at stake. I wish we knew. We'll stop playing. We'll get serious. We'll get serious. Come and pray here. Let your heart adjust itself as you pray. Adjust itself as you pray. For the sake of the gospel. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. 
Tinubu has won. Chelsea has won. Nigeria has won. When will Jesus win? When will Jesus win? For the sake of the gospel. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. When will Jesus win? So much to do. So much to do. So much to do. Come on, make commitments, lifestyle adjustment. There's something you should not say again publicly. Come on, come on, come on. Adjust, adjust, adjust. Get ready, get ready, get ready. God wants to do much more, much more, much more through your life. Stop playing. Stop playing. Stop playing. There's blood involved here. Karaba sekete kadaba leketes. Jikete brande kete kadayaba lekete kobalanas. Oh, thank you, Lord. I give myself away. Hey, give myself away. So you. Anybody giving yourself away? Come on. Give myself, give myself away. Give it up, give it up, give it up, give it all. I give myself away. I give myself away. I give myself For the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel. I give myself away. It's worth it. The gospel is worth it. The gospel is worth it. Every sacrifice. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. I give myself away. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I've been inspired to do certain things in prayers just because when the gospel is preached, the power of God is available. So permit me to say a few things over you. Are you ready? In the name of Jesus, we make a demand on the power of the gospel this morning that has been preached, that has been taught, that has been sacrificed over. And we release the gospel, the power of it to every place there's a need. 
Let that need be met right now. In the name of Jesus. I in particular address financial needs, deadlines, bills. I command by the supernatural supply of heaven. Those needs are met in the name of Jesus. I address health needs, sicknesses and diseases. Live in the name of Jesus. I command infirmities to depart in the name of Jesus. I command strength to mortal bodies. Strength to minds. Wholeness to souls. In the name of Jesus. Those who are confused, receive clarity and direction. Supernatural intervention by the power of God. In the name of Jesus. Those in desperate need of favor, I command the heart of kings to be changed for your sake. In the name of Jesus. Every decision that needs to be overturned, be overturned. Be overturned. Be overturned. In the name of Jesus. So shall it be. In Jesus' name we pray. Be seated. We trust you have been blessed by this message. Kindly reach us for feedback and testimonies through judaolorumai at gmail.com.